0: Good morning everyone, good to see you and to be here uh, in the service. If you have a Bible with you, perhaps you'd like to turn to the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. The businessman said it's it's a big turnover for a small prophet trying to find Hosea. It's page 797 in my Bible (laughs) I don't know what it is in yours It's probably the saddest book in the whole Bible It's It's a real heartbreaking story The story of Hosea It's the saddest period in Israel's history Probably about the last 10-20 10, 20 years of the Northern Kingdom, uh, its existence it never came together again as a kingdom. You know that when Solomon died, the kingdom divided into two the Northern Kingdom of ten tribes um, and the Southern Kingdom of two tribes, uh, Judah and Benjamin. And they were in the, the, the latter part of the Northern Kingdom, Hosea. It was was about ten years after Amos in his uh, uh, prophecies. I'm going to read from chapter 1 and uh, the first nine verses. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Bealei, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Ruhamah." For I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. After she had weaned Lorikama, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami for you are not my people and I am not your God oh dear and then on to chapter 3 and uh, verse 1 we'll read the the whole of this 5 verse chapter the headline in the NIV is Hosea's reconciliation with his wife the Lord said to me go show your love to your wife again although she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethe of barley. Then I told her, You are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterward the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. So it's the final years of the northern kingdom's history. And I'll raise the question again as I have before with you, what is a prophet? Hosea was one of this group of people called the prophets. He's first of all a man of value. He's called in Hebrew an Ish Elohim. That is a man of God. And right back in First Samuel nine nine, when they're looking for the lost ashes of ashes of Kish, um Saul and his servant. The servant says come on we can't find them. Uh, he says my father will stop worrying about the asses and start worrying about us. He says. And uh, the servant says there's a man of God and each Elohim in the town will go and ask for his help. And so that's the first title given to a prophet is a he's an Eshelohim, a man of God. It's either if you're into grammar at all, it's either genitive or adjective. Oh yeah. Um, a man of God means a man owned by God, a man possessed by God, a man taken over by God, um uh, that's when it's genitival. Yeah. or else it can mean a godly man it can be adjective, describing the man he's a, a godly man a man of God a godly man he reminds people of God not only in his words but also in his demeanor and his behavior and so that's the first title for a prophet in the Old Testament. He's a man of God. Then there are two other words used. He's either a, a roe or a chose. Um, he's either somebody who sees things. Ra'a means to see. And roe means a man that sees things. <laughs> he's either a, a, a roe or he's a chose. A chose means a visionary. Um, he has dreams. He has visions and uh, the the great thing about the prophet was he shared God's vision of his society and of his contemporaries um, he saw things from God's perspective we all see things from different perspectives don't we one man looks uh, two men looked through prison bars you know one saw dust the other saw stars you know they're so different and the prophets had a view of society that was different from the the -the run-of-the-mill view of society Um, you know if you'd gone through Israel around the 8th century the time of Amos shortly before Hosea you would have been impressed I would have been impressed if we had a guide to show us all the new work and building that was going on the wonderful marble and the, the structures that were going up but Amos wouldn't have been impressed at all. What did he see? Well, he saw a highly unjust nation where poor folk, eh, they, they they had to eh, sleep at night without a plaid You know, in Scotland, you used to sleep in your plaid your uh, covering. Um, and folk who were being sold wheat, and it wasn't really wheat, it was the sweepings of the floor, where the wheat was and it was it was substandard definitely and um, and where the widows had no justice because they had nobody to defend them and Amos gets steamed up about that he doesn't get steamed up about um, the wonderful buildings he's totally unimpressed he shares God's view of society and so a prophet is a man of value a man of vision And then he's a man of vocation. That's the third. The most frequently used word for a prophet in the Old Testament is a navi. We talk about an Irish navi, don't we? Well, a Hebrew navi was the the word used for a prophet. We're not sure where it came from. We think it came from Mesopotamia. From uh, between the rivers Tigris and Euphrates, from Sumer or Akkad, and there's a verb there, Nabu, which means to call. And so he's a caller, he's a man who calls people, um, who uses his voice to call people to God. (coughs) He's either a caller. And these men called to men as people who had, who had been before God and they, they announced God's word. You know, and Elijah's favorite phrase, you know, as the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, to whose face I stand. In other words, the prophets were in close communion with God and they could call people to obey God and follow God. Um, Or else he was, he was a called man we use called um, a caller in the sense of a weather prophet remember we talk about weather prophets you could be a caller or you could be somebody called you know Amos says I was a, I was a, a, a shepherd I was looking after the ugly faced bandy legged sheep on, uh, <laughs> on the on the slopes of uh, the mountains he said uh, the, these, these sheep gave good wool, so they had these the naka they were called the nakadim these the sheep that they looked after yeah, on the hillsides It said, and I was a we not sure what it means, a squeezer a pincher, a scraper of sycamore fruit, they gathered wild figs on the mountainside and they had to go down a thousand feet He was, was working to earn his living and it took him a lot of hard effort and climbing up and down the hills looking after the sheep and s- squeezing out the or scraping out the the wild figs, and um, but God spoke to me, and God called me from following the flock, and said, "Go and serve my people Israel, and be their shepherd." So he was a he was either a caller or a called man, and the prophet was a called man, and the sechuzia was a called man, a man of vision, a man of vocation a man of God so the first thing is a communicator defined I think I've given you a reasonable (laughs) definition of a prophet this morning I've done that before with you but never mind the second thing I have to say is a covenant defaced and uh, we, we know all about that in our society all the graffiti we see around there were covenants written up for the public to see. And there are two types of treaties in the Old Testament. There's parity treaties among equals where uh, David and Hiram of Tyre, the king of Tyre, they do a deal, a trade deal in the Old Testament. That's a parity treaty. Or else you get a suzerainty treaty. It's a treaty between a senior partner and a junior partner. It's a treaty between the conqueror and the conquered. You understand um, and most of the covenants that God makes with his people in the Old Testament are suzerainty treaties, treaties with God as the overlord who calls them in to treaty with him, to guard them, to protect them, to provide for them now that he's their senior figure. You with me so far? i looking a wee bit sad. Anyway... Um, <laughs> The other thing is a marriage treaty, is a suzerainty treaty and there's a husband, the husband's a boss man in Israel, Israel society, he's the senior figure and uh, one of the, the covenants set out is the covenant between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, in this case Hosea and his wife Gomer. And right from the earlier chapters there, it's also oh, kind of symbolic. Gomer's called the daughter of Diblaim. And Diblaim, eh, I don't know if you like fly cemeteries here. You go to the shop and get a fly cemetery. Um, a raisin cake. Well, the raisin cakes were used in pagan worship. Eh, in dedication to the Baal they would eat raisin cakes in celebration of the Baal at the Baal Sanctuary every district would have its own Baal Sanctuary and that she was the daughter of Diblim. it probably doesn't mean her daddy was called Diblim. it means she was a Baal worshipper she was a pagan lady and here's God calls H- Hosea to marry this lady and the lady is described Take to yourself an adulterous wife, oh dear, and grandchildren and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord, in other words, he is a covenant defaced God has brought his people into covenant, but they are not following him any longer. they are away following the gods of the of the Canaanites and every place you would have the the Bale of Ochengirch and the Bale of Millersen and the Bale of Chrysan. Every local place had a local shrine with a a statue of the Baal and his female consort, uh, a carving, a pole beside the altar uh, dedicated to Baal and uh, she was usually pictured as holding sheaves of corn because she was a fertility god Goddess, and she also was as as pictured as a a pregnant woman. And there they had male and female cult prostitution, which was terribly endemic in the land, because they picked up the customs of the people around them. And here, here was I don't think, uh, in trying to understand this, I don't think God would have called her. Would have called Hosea to marry a woman who's already like that? I think it would be a woman who in course of time would become like that. And that's how the story develops. Because Gomer leaves him. Um, first of all she is a child. He married Gomer, daughter of Diblim, And it's specific, she conceived and bore him a son. So it's the first child's his child. Um, and he is to be called Jezreel because Jezreel is going to be a place of battle and attack um, and then later on um, verse 6 Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter then the Lord said to ear, call her Lo-Ruchama means n- no pity not, not pitied not pitied for I will no longer show pity or love to the house of Israel that I should forgive them because they've gone off the covenant they're away from me they've defaced the covenant and then the second the third child's born and he says call this child lo Ami." me am means a people Ami, me my people lo Ami, me not my people okay they're not my people any longer they're not behaving like my people they've broken the covenant they've left me they've gone away from me and just as Homer left um, Hosea for other men uh, so God has left his so Israel has left their God to follow other gods for she is not my wife and I am not her husband uh, he says in verse 2 chapter 2 verse 2 that's it Um, she is not my wife i am not her husband so here's a here's number and name symbolism a shameful woman a shameful wife bear worship a heartbroken husband and so what is to happen well you see the prophets went through experiences Um, and through their experiences they were able to convey to their their contemporaries um, how God felt about things and that's what we should be doing just now actually to our contemporaries the whole of our society is needing to be called back to the standards of God in marriage as in everything else Um, and God the, the whole prophecy here unfolds Um, first of all the communicator defined and the covenant defaced and then there's a contrast declared in the whole thing in evil actions Gomer is reproached if you get down to Red Red chapter 3 he says go show your love to your wife again though she is loved by another and an adulteress love for as the Lord loves the Israelites though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes that's uh, the fly cemeteries, okay so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a letter of bar that's quite a big payment he makes to get her back he buys her back to himself that's the whole story of redemption in the Bible that God has sent the Lord Jesus Christ to buy us back to himself we've gone away from him, we were made in his image after his likeness and he calls us back it's called redemption it's like what used to happen to me on a Friday Thursday I used to take my father's suit to the pawn shop (laughs) I used to take my father's suit to the pawn shop and then I was sent back on the Friday um, and I had to pay what I'd been given an amoeba extra it was actually a big bit extra. We won't go into that. Point brokers are terrible for this. So I used to go back with uh, the money and get and redeem my father's suit, buy it back from the pawnbroker, and pay a wee bit interest in addition to what my mother had got from the pawnbroker the day before. It was actually a good way of getting instant cash. At least I used to think. That. <laughs> and uh, and God has redeemed us he sent Christ to buy us back to himself that's a wonderful story of the gospel a contrast declared. He first of all in evil actions Gomer was away Whoa. and he to buy her back and it cost all these shekels and that payment um, and he, he punished her Because although she was back to him, they did not behave or be together like husband and wife. That was a punishment to her from him. Read all about it in chapter 3. It tells her, you are to live with me many days, he says to her, but you're not to be intimate with any man. And I will live with you. She'd gone away and she had children with symbolic names because... Hosea wasn't the daddy of the second and third child it tells us in chapter 1 so there's reproach and then there's punishment and then there's restoration Uh, restoration is uh, Gomer is called back into close relationship again with Hosea so there's a contrast declared in evil actions The infidelity of Israel's there in the the prophecy and their independence. They don't need God to rule over them. They're going to rule over themselves and they're going to follow the gods of the land and so on. We all need to be brought back to God. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the way back to God. There's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is open and we may go in. Calvary's cross is where we begin. When we come as a sinner to Jesus, there's infidelity, there's independence, there's intrigue, there's false prophets and priests giving out phony messages, false stories, there's immorality galore, there's ingratitude to God for all His goodness to them. Because that period, in many ways, it was a it was a well-off period as I said at the time of Hosea and Amos they were putting up these fine buildings with a lot of money about but they were ungrateful to God for his goodness and so the contrast is declared in their evil actions and the contrast is declared in vivid pictures there used to be a series of articles in the Reader's Digest do you ever read the Reader's Digest? and the wee definitions you know blood is thicker than water and it boils quicker you know that sort of thing and, uh, <laughs> I used to read the Reader's Digest and the a thing in the Reader's Digest called Towards More Picturesque Speech and it was a sort of vivid uh, way of putting things and Hosea would win a contest for that any day of the week if you look through his prophecy if you've got time this afternoon <laughs> yeah, there's one of a, uh, a heated oven <laughs> and a half-baked cake (laughs) in chapter 7 he says "Um, their hearts are like an oven they approach him with intrigue their passion smoulders all night in the morning it blazes like a flaming fire all of them are as hot as an oven they devour devour their rulers and their kings fall and none of them calls on me that's the story of our society today Ephraim mixes with the nations Ifium is a flat cake, not turned. The bakers among the ladies know all about that. You, know? you ever make scones and you burn one side and the other side's raw? You're, uh, <laughs> uh, well, that's it. It says they're like a half baked shower. They're burning in the one side and raw in the other, uh, overdone. And their pagan activities underdone in their devotion to God. And so from that passage alone, some scholars have thought that Hosea was a baker to trade. Because he knows all about ovens and how they bank up the fire and how you burn your cakes and all that sort of stuff. And then there's there's a stubborn heifer. There's a good picture of them in chapter 4 and verse 16. The Israelites are stubborn, like a stubborn heifer how then can the Lord pasture them like lambs in a meadow? imagine a big cow, a big bull uh, stubborn refusing to do what you wanted to do that's what they're like, they're like a stubborn heifer he said, they're like half baked cake The love is fickle chapter chapter 6 and verse 4 what can I do with you Ephraim Ephraim's a trade name for the whole of the ten tribes in the north what can I do with you Ephraim what can I do with you Judah your love is like the morning mist like the early dew that disappears some of us like to play golf or as we say hack our way around golf courses and uh, on holiday we used to go to a golf course in Cullen in Banffshire and one of the great sights of my life has been standing on the 7th Tee at Cullen, overlooking Cullen Bay, about 8 o'clock in the morning. we get to this the 7th hole, or round about that. We used to go out early. And there would be the mist there. And in the summer, occasionally, we got sunshine in those days, it seems. You remember you missed the summer once you went in for a haircut. Well, it was, it was good. We seem to always have good summers, I And you could be standing in the seventh tee. It's 203 yards to the green. There's a burn behind the green. There's a hillside on this side. And uh, and then the sun comes out and the mist that was there disappears. And he says, what's your love like? It's like the mist, he says. It's like the early dew of morning. You've got a song, haven't we? Has passed away at noon. It's temporary. It's fickle. It's untrustworthy. It's unsteady. And he uses the image again in chapter 13 and verse 3. He says... uh, therefore they'll be like the morning mist like the early dew that disappears like chaff swirling from a threshing floor the imagery in Amos is fantastic they're under judgment in chapter 13 um, he says to them I cared for you in the desert in the land of burning heat when I fed them they were satisfied when they were satisfied they became proud and forgot me so you get all this image of judgment I will come upon them like a lion like a leopard I will lurk by the path like a bear robbed of her cubs I will attack them and rip them open like like a lion I will devour them (coughs) like a wild animal will tear them apart Vivid, vivid, vivid pictures. It's an amazing book, oh, yeah You should, you should read it sometime. It's terrific. There's a contrast to clear. Then there's a, a key concept in the whole book. There's a one word that's the key to the whole book. Um, the Hebrew word, the Chesed. You say it with ha ch- like a Scottish Loch, back in your throat, Chesed and uh, it's translated various ways it's translated as love it's translated as loyalty <coughs> it's translated in the Revised Standard Version everywhere all the time as steadfast love steadfast love and it's the love of God in this wonderful prophecy is pictured as real cheses. Um there's a famous Old Testament scholar called George Adam Smith in the 19th century and he said that the best phrase for it is leal love a Scottish phrase leal love l-e-a-l hyphen love leal love it means loyal love love that persists through thick and thin and God although his heart's broken um. He says, it's wonderful. You can almost hear God crying in 11 verse 8. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma or make you like Zeboam Who were killed in battle and devastated my heart is changed within me, all my compassion is aroused, I will not carry out my fierce anger nor will I turn and devastate for I am God and not man, the Holy One among you I will not come in wrath. And so Professor uh, Norman Smith who was the editor of the British and Foreign Bible Society translation of the Hebrew Scriptures he says this word says is the cement of the covenant and it tells us that although God's heart is broken and torn in two by his love for his people he calls them back to him to love him to return to him and to trust in him and as a, a marvellous say uh, in chapter 14 oh, the last chapter the way back to God is through repentance and return Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Chapter 14, verse 2. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. We'll never... Assyria cannot save us, will not mount war, war horses, will never see again our gods to what our hands have made. And for in you the fatherless find compassion, I will heal their wayward- waywardness. I will love them freely for my anger has turned away I will be like the dew to Israel wonderful language isn't it he will blossom like a lily like the cedar of Lebanon he will send down his roots his young shoots will grow his splendor will be like an olive tree men shall dwell again in his shade it's wonderful stuff the call to repentance <laughs> I don't know how your English grammar is, but repentance in the Old Testament's always a verb. There were three exceptions. I think there are three, um, three instance, instances in the Old Testament of repentance as a noun. Everywhere else, it's a verb. Repentance is a verb. We've got to keep going back to God. That's what we're like. We're hopeless at keeping our word but God has given us his Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus is still real to us and although we do some shameful things to one another he wants us back he's that kind of God and he shows us this real love through Christ you know and he'll never let you down He died on the cross and he'll never let you down. It wasn't a flash in the pan thing. It's a constant love he wants to show to us. That's what Jesus is like. This constant love. Other folk will let you down. You can think your own life of how many times you've been let down by people. You know, it's, it's really awful. Sometimes how people let you down. But I'll tell you this the Lord Jesus Christ will never let you down never he sticks by us he closes in with us he pours out his love on us the cement of the covenant uh, Professor Smith says and that's a wonderful story of how through his heartbreak Hosea found God and related God to his own people in his own time let's pray together God our Father we come to you and as a nation we're in such a mess just now we don't know where to go where to turn this whole Brexit thing turned us upside down we haven't a clue what's going to happen but we thank you that you are a faithful God and we can cling on to you and we can count on you even when people let us down And we ask you, O God, for your blessing on the congregation at this time and juncture in their life together. We thank you for those here this morning and pray for your blessing on them. We pray for the children, that you'll bless the children in the Sunday school and those who teach them. And we pray for our family situations, whatever they may be. Some of them are heartbreaks to us, but we thank you that you are with us in our heartbreak as well as in our joy. So receive our thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord and help us to return to you. (coughs) Amen.